You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast, episode number 183. If you want a happy ending, that depends, of course, on where you stop your story. Orson Welles. Broadcasting from a dark, windowless room in Hollywood, when we really should be working on that next draft. It's the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast, showing you the craft and business of screenwriting while teaching you how to make your screenplay bulletproof. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Now, today's show is sponsored by Bulletproof Script Coverage. Now, unlike other script coverage services, Bulletproof Script Coverage actually focuses on the kind of project you are and the goals of the project you are. So we actually break it down by three categories, micro-budget, indie film market, and studio film. There's no reason to get coverage from a reader that's used to reading tentpole movies when your movie's going to be done for $100,000. And we wanted to focus on that at Bulletproof Script Coverage. Our readers have worked with Marvel Studios, CAA, WME, NBC, HBO, Disney, Scott Free, Warner Brothers, The Blacklist, and many, many more. So if you need your screenplay or TV script covered by professional readers, head on over to CoverMyScreenplay.com. Today on the show, we have returning champion R.B. Bato from Stage 32. Now, if you have not heard any of the dozen or so other episodes that R.B. has been on over the years on Indie Film Hustle, I would definitely check out the show notes to check out all those other episodes. Anytime me and RB get together, it is an epic conversation about the business and where we are at that moment in time in the business. And some major truth bombs are dropped in every single episode that we have. And today's episode is no exception. Now, in this episode, we're going to talk about Netflix and what they're looking for from creators, from filmmakers, from screenwriters. And RB has a very interesting insight to this because he has partnered with Netflix on a series of webinars explaining and teaching what Netflix is looking for from filmmakers and screenwriters. And we get into the weeds about not only Netflix uh, and what they're looking for, but where the business is today. If you're a creative, what you what you need to do, uh, definitely debunking some myths and dropping some truths as well. So this is a fairly epic conversation because it is RB and I chatting away. So it is going to be full of amazing knowledge bombs for you guys. So without any further ado, please enjoy my epic conversation with RB Bato. I'd like to welcome back to the show... I can't get rid of him. He's it will be share roaches and a dirty penny back on the show. <laughs> RB Bato from Stage Thirty Two, my friend. How are you? I am doing well, sir. How are you doing? <laughs> well, you Actually, know, it's a good place to start. How are you doing? Because the last time, you know, the regular <laughs> listeners know that I've been on this show many, many times, and, and I'm, I'm very thrilled to be here. I feel like you know, like Cato on the couch sometimes, but. It's, uh, you know, always great to be here. But the last time I was on the show, you were in a room that I could only describe as minimalist modern meets witness protection program. And you were going on and on about how all art is meaningless and that everybody is exposable and, and that uh, and we're, disposable. We're and all going to die. We're all going to die. It doesn't matter. Disposable. And that, yeah, we're all going to die and it's going to be all meaningless anyway. So. 
I'm hoping, you know, my hope today is that you're in a better place. It seems like a brighter room. It seems like you've decorated a few things. So how are you doing? I think we should start. There. I am. I, I'm doing, uh, thank you for your concern, sir. I do appreciate it. I, um, I am doing better. Uh, because you know, it was, it was a darker place, uh, when I spoke to you last, uh, no, no doubt because, uh, we were in transition. So that dark, uh, witness relocation room, uh, minimalist relocation with the one chair in the back was the rental that I was in while we were looking for a home here in Austin where I just moved to. So, um, it was a, a tough year. Let's just say it was a tough year. 2021 was a tough year. Uh, a lot of transition, a lot of moving. I don't know if you've Moved recently cross country with two children and a cat. Mm. Uh, <laughs> not no. not easy no. selling one house. It is one of my twenty twenty two goals. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure it is. <laughs> but anyway, it was very. It was. I was. It was. I was in a. I was. I was not in the the best place. Let's say, but I wasn't in a bad place. It just wasn't in the best place. It was a rough time. But I'm doing much better now. As you can see, I have a, a you know a, a, my set that I put together and. We, uh, you know, we're settled in now and, and, and loving, uh, loving life here in Austin, man. It's, uh, it's, it's great. And, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy I made the move to Austin. It, it's, it is obviously where all the cool kids are moving to. Uh, so it's, uh, it's a nice place to be and, you know, and, and no state tax helps. <laughs> that, well, yeah, that's not a bad thing. And I know you're trying to get me to get down there and everything like that. And, you know, like I said, it's one of my 2022 goals. I have to have two kids and get a cat. Uh, that's the first part of the goal. So I may be overshooting. I might need a few more years, but you know, maybe there's a time where you know, I'll be your neighbor or something. There would be nothing better in in my life if I could see you have a child. Wow! Oh, I you, my God, have you change a diaper? Yeah. Oh my yeah. God! nieces <laughs> and nephews. I mean, you know, like, don't say it never happened. No, no, you know. don't be throwing the niece. That's only one step above. Like I've got a dog. It's the same thing. I have a dog. Too. It's the same thing. <laughs> but um, you know, everybody who's listening, you know, RB comes on the show uh, periodically about you know to talk about the business and talk about what's going on, and and he's definitely got his ear to the grindstone about what is happening right now in the business and you know he reached out to like hey man i think i think we got some cool stuff to talk about i'd love to come back on the show and kind of like give you know give uh, give the listeners a little bit of insight of what i'm hearing uh because our business is changing man like god every 15 minutes it seems like what we talked about on episode 500 besides the all art is meaningless uh <laughs> everything that's everything that's ever that's evergreen um but the business from that point on which was only like probably four four or five months ago yeah is changed dramatically and it's changing so dramatically that it's hard for people like us to keep up with it and we're like in we're in as they say in the shit uh uh you know we're in we're back we're in the we're in the trenches every day seeing what's going on and it's hard for us to keep up let alone someone who's outside of the business trying to break in and it's kind of like you're aiming like, okay, I'm going to aim for this, this little hole that I see. I'm like, oh, the hole moved that way. It's like you're playing golf and every time you hit the damn golf ball, <laughs> the, the, the pole moves. And it's exactly, it's exactly what's happening as opposed to, as uh, Wayne Gretzky says, you have to think where the puck's going, not where it has been. Yeah. Well, you know, there's nothing I enjoy more than when you wade into the waters of sports metaphors. Um, <laughs> It, it just, you know, it, it, it pumps me up. 
really hey, I was I was a triple threat as a kid, so I don't know what you're talking about. I was a triple threat. I almost I almost played baseball, almost played basketball, and almost played football. So uh, that's, that's not. I uh, part of your 2022 goals too. Maybe you could actually go do it. Not with this body. Not now. <laughs> things 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 creak a little bit more than they used to. But yeah, I'm picking up on your vibe about everything. I mean, you, you know, obviously you running uh, everything that you run, not just the show, but your entire empire. Um, <laughs> you know, you're talking to people in the business all day long and you're hearing what's going on. And, you know, it's it's been I think it's a fascinating time right now. And, you know, one of the reasons why I reached out to you is, you know, first of all, people aren't familiar with me. You know, if they haven't met me before, heard me before, I am the CEO of Stage 32 Real quick, I'll give you the tagline of that world's largest platform for connecting and educating film, television, and digital content creators and professionals. We act as a marketplace between content uh, producer and content, you know, the content creator and content maker. And we have the world's largest library of education anywhere with over 2,000 hours of education for anything that you're doing craft or professional-wise in the business. The big thing that we announced recently was a partnership with Netflix where Netflix is paying us uh, to educate the world on how to produce content, create, develop, produce content for Netflix. And the reason why Netflix is doing this is, you know, they have a 17 billion buy order basically for 2022, and it's probably going to go higher. Disney Plus is committing 33 billion, and that's probably going to go higher. And the question becomes, how can you create all this content at scale? First of all, I like to say, too, that anyone who's listening to this, I, I coined the phrase in 2020, 20, in 2021, even during the pandemic, and I've extended it to 2022 and beyond. This is the great content goal rush right now. Mm-hmm. If you don't believe that, you're not paying attention. Netflix certainly believes it. Disney Plus believes it. Peacock, they all believe it, right? HBO believes it. So we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Netflix is basically, you know, for Netflix to be able to produce $17 billion in original content for 2022, and they're expected to extend that by in 2023 and 2024, year over year, how can they go and train the world um, on how to do it? And how can they shorten their path to finding quality content? And that's why they've hired us to service that education arm and to partner with us to be that education arm because if they had to do this on their own they'd have to hire you know hundreds of new people train them get them on planes to go around the world to find people that they can train to produce all this stuff then you gotta go through development making sure the content is right so basically what they're doing is they're hiring us to act as their training arm to help find creative voices all over the world producers all over the world to create content for Netflix. And their main goal in a lot of ways, you know, Netflix right now, keeping in mind that they're a publicly traded company and they have shareholders to, you know, to uh, answer to, they have basically saturated the American market. The only way they're gonna get another subscription out of the American market is to get some, get one of, you know, get people that have cut the cord, that are new cord cutters, or to get people who had Netflix before canceled and are coming back again. So. What they want to do is, and you're seeing it already, is they they can add members all over the world in foreign countries, right, and in foreign areas where they're not saturated. So what they want to do is create local language content that plays well in America. So you think about Squid Game, Lupin, 
Narcos, uh, Subara, things like that. And but basically, it's like, where do you find that content? How do you go to South America and find that content? How do you go to South Africa and find that content? How do you do that? And that's what they've kind of hired. That's what they've hired us to do. And by virtue of that, since this was announced in the trades and the business trades over the last few weeks, um, we've just been getting hit up with every studio, every production company, every management firm, every agency coming to us saying, we want in. How do we get to your best content? You know, they want to get first looks at it. So it's interesting because, you know, it, it filmmakers and screenwriters listening, they're all like, well, you know, I'm, I, I can provide I can provide content. I can provide value. I can provide like, why can't I get in? And a lot of times they don't understand that there's right now, there's so much need for content and there's so much money. There's no other time in the history of our industry. Has there been so much money thrown around? Not even in the nineties and the early two thousands when everybody was making a lot of money. Um, There's so much money being thrown around right now. I don't know if it's a bubble. I don't know if it's going to pop eventually. Who who knows? There's only so much of this. You can only spend $33 billion a year and not make $33 billion a year for so many years before you eventually crash. So something might happen. But there's also we're running into the place of like we're running out of people to create this content, like like skilled, labored people from from writers to grips to electric, like there's never been more of a need for support and for positions in our business, not only in America, but definitely overseas and everywhere else around the world. But the problem is where a lot of uh, you know filmmakers listening right now, they're like, well, why don't they give me a shot? I'm like, because you haven't been vetted and they're not gonna throw a billion, a million dollars on you just because you have an idea. That is a funny SNL skit that they did where like, <laughs> do you see that skit where they just walk, guys just walking down like you, yeah, what do you? What, I have to show a thing about bread. Good, million dollars. Go, you know, and they just start handing out shows left and right because it seemed like that's what they were doing. But there needs to be some sort of um, way to vet people to come in, and that's where you guys come in, and that's where um, Netflix is trying to do is trying to build an infrastructure where they can educate people around the world to build this content, and then also vet creatives who come in because if not, it's it's you can't you can't run a business like that. Yeah. Well, you're a thousand percent right. And this is exa- everything you said is spot on. And it, and that's exactly why Netflix has come to us to train. But they, but the conversations have gone beyond that to say, how do we create that pipeline? Because it's not enough to train people. You got to get this content in. You got to get it in fast. Right. But you don't have the time to vet through and to sift through the shit that, you know, in, in, inevitably and invari- invariably production companies, streamers, managers, agents get on their desk every day. So basically what they're coming to us and saying, okay, you guys act as a marketplace anyway. Your content that comes through you on the premium side gets vetted by executives in the business. If it gets spit out the other side with recommendations on it, we want to see that content if it falls into this genre at this budget. So they're able to come to us. And this is what I was saying about the Stage 32 Writers Room. By the way, this is just a giveaway for your for your for your listeners. If you want a free month of the Stage 32 Writers Room, if you're a screenwriter or a producer, filmmaker, whatever, just write Jason Merch. His, his email is j.merch, M-I-R-C-H, at stage32.com. Tell him that you heard this on Indie Film Hustle and that you, we'll give you, you know, that I said free month for you guys, anyone who's listening. But what, what we've been able to do in the writer's room, and if you're not familiar with the writer's room, it's basically a write, an online writing community. It's thousands of writers 
we do education every week. We bring in executives from all over the world every week. But one of the biggest things we've been able to add since we announced the Netflix thing is open writing assignments. So what's happening is all these studios, production companies are coming to us, streamers are coming to us saying, this is the content we need. We need female driven, romantic, blah, 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 half hour show, half hour comedies. Who do you have? And we're able to connect that content creator that's been vetted to that, to that um, uh, production company or studio or whatever. But with the OWAs, what they're coming is they're saying, we need somebody to write this project. And then people that are in the writer's room can submit their material to that production company or to that studio. And that, that has already been vetted through us. And they're able to be put up for these writing assignments. So we've been doing this for a couple of months right now. We've already had 20 writers that have moved on to the next level as far as within that particular company to write these projects. So that's exciting because you know that during the 90s and, and you know maybe the 80s and 90s, open writing assignments were very common. Then they kind of went away. Now they're coming back in a big way because again, how can you fill this content by this content spend if you don't go out there and say, look, you know, we have Emily in Paris. We need three more of these. Okay, where are the writers to do it, right? Okay, so they come to us and they say, okay, we're looking for it in the vein of Emily in Paris. We give them the scripts. They hire the writers. So again, if you want a free month of that, it's J.Merch. But so you're basically telling me that Taylor Sheridan is not able to write everything, is what you're saying. <laughs> By the way, if you want to read a great article on this, I don't know if you've seen it yet. Oh, yeah. Have you read it? I, no, I, uh, go ahead, go ahead. Let me just tell you this. There is a, a site called, you should write this down because I know you'll love it. It's it's called Puck.News, okay? It's a, an article called The Triumph and the Tragedy of Yellowstone, and it speaks all about how this whole Taylor Sheridan thing went down. And I think writers and, and everybody, any creative that's listening to the show will be fascinated by the fact of the hoops that everybody had to jump through just to make this show happen, even with all the attachments. So here's what I would say to this audience, because I know the first thing that everybody is thinking right now, and there's no question, and you're gonna get 6,000 emails, and I'm gonna get 6,000 emails, so let's nip this in the bud right away, is I have a great project for Netflix. How do I get in there? How do I pitch them? How do I do this? How do I do that? All right, so let, let's get this out of the way first. The first webcast that we did in our partnership with Netflix was talked by Chris Mack. Chris Mack is a 20-year development executive in the business. He was a writer. He started in writer's rooms. He, he moved on to become an executive. He heads up. He's one of the main development executives at Netflix. He came in and taught a three-hour workshop on what you need to do to basically get to Netflix, okay? Yeah. And he said on that show, on, on that workshop, We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Quite clearly and upfront, look, you can't call up Netflix and go, I got a great script. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Right? Doesn't work that way? Doesn't work that way? We, have, we only have so many bodies. We can only listen to so many pitches a day. And oh, by the way, those pitches are being listened to. Those are Fincher and Spielberg. And those are the people, you know, and the top agents of CAA and WME and yada, yada, yada. Okay. But here's how you can do it. Get a manager, an agent that could walk in. Attach an actor that has a first look deal with Netflix. Attach a director that has a first look deal with Netflix. Go to producers who have deals with Netflix. Attach a showrunner that means something to Netflix, okay? These are all ways that you can control what you can control to get there. 
Now, let me put this in perspective. I don't want to, I'm not, I don't want to monopolize time. I'm just saying I want to put this in perspective to put a button on this. That Chris Mack workshop has been viewed by 140,000 people. Now, wow. I want you to think about that. That means there are 140,000 people that have logged into stage32.com, registered for that. It's free, by the way. It's a free web. You can still watch it. If you go on the education stage 32, type in Chris Mack or Netflix, you can watch it. Or you can see all that. If you type Netflix in, you can see all of them, right? They're all free. 140,000 people. Now, think about this. That's 140,000 people that we reached. There's a whole world out there. You could X multiply that by people that we haven't reached yet that haven't seen this. But that means there's at least 140,000 people that you're in competition with to get your show or movie on Netflix. So my question back to you is how do you get to Netflix? My question, the answer to that question is a question to you. What are you prepared to do to get it to Netflix? How much are you willing to control? Because if you don't go out there and connect, the, you know, uh, uh, get a manager, an agent that has a deal that can get in and walk it in, or get a producer, or get an actor, or get a director that has a deal or a pipeline in to any of these streamers, by the way, you're not going to walk it right in. So that's what you need to be looking for. So I know all of you had just banged out emails and we're seeing, you know, copying Alex and me and everything like that. Delete that draft and go watch. <laughs> Go watch the workshop. It is a master class. Chris did an amazing, amazing job with it. It is it is fascinating because oh God, there's so much there's so much need for content and there's so many people wanting to jump in. But you're right. What are you willing to do to get there? And and, and you know, I've been I've had the pleasure now of, of being on I don't know what episode am I on? Five hundred and forty, thirty, twenty something. Um, and I've talked to so many people in the business and within the last year, I've been had the pleasure of talking to Oscar winners and Emmy winners and all the, you know, this insane, insane people that I've had on the show and been humbled to have on the show. And one thing I've always, I, I always find out, which is really interesting is it's not always about talent though. Talent is important. Yeah. It's not always about experience, but experience is important. What the main criteria of making it in our business is, is resilience. That's it. That's the number one thing. Because there's people, and you know this for a fact, there's people who shouldn't be writing in Hollywood today, that shouldn't be directing in Hollywood today. But they were more resilient than anybody else, and they were willing to take the hits and kept moving forward, as Mr. Rocky Balboa always said. I was say, that was very, that was really, yeah, that was Balboa-ish, yeah. That was very Balboa. Yeah, I, I, would say I, I couldn't agree with you more, 1,000%. I will say there's a 1A to that that is more important. It was always important, but it literally is more important at this moment in time than any other, is you have to understand how the business operates. Absolutely. Okay. I'll give you an example. We just talked about the idea of attaching a showrunner, attaching this, whatever. People have heard me say it probably on your show that we are out with, with a pilot that I wrote, okay? We attached David Weddle, who is the, the showrunner for, for All Mankind on Apple TV. He was number two on Battlestar Galactic, the number two on The Strain. He has been around for 30 years. He is beloved in the industry, okay? We've pitched it and we've had some success, but a lot of people, even with David on board, have said, okay, well, what else? Like, what do you have? Do you have any actors interested? Do you have any, you know, did, Again, it's sort of, and, and we don't take that, we don't, we're not, you know, beaten down by that or offended by that. We're sitting there going, okay, the competition has gotten so great 
And you have all these actors that have deals now and these directors that have deals now. And these actors and these directors have relationships with other actors and other directors and other showrunners. So they're coming in with even bigger and bigger packages, right? More, more elite, right? So it's like, okay, how do we make ourselves better? So literally last night, the brain trust of this show, the producers, David, myself, a manager friend of mine who's helping push this thing around, we sat down and we discussed strategy of, do we go directly to the deal makers? Do we hire another producer that means something to these particular pods, these people who have pods? Do we go to actors who have pods at the, at the, you know, and this was, so this was a business conversation amongst the creatives, but we understand what we need to do and how the business works that we're not just saying like, well, let's just bomb everybody or let's just hit up like who makes this type of show at this price, who has a production deal, who's an actor that we think we could attach that means something. And that becomes a business strategy. So totally agree with you on resilience, but you really, really need to understand how the business operates. And that's why if you're blind emailing people going, I got a show for Netflix, Oh, you're basically, I mean, I'm saying you're basically proving to people that you don't understand how the business operates. If you're spending 17 hours on screenwriting Twitter arguing about whether names should be capitalized in a screenplay and executives go and look and see that that's what you're arguing about, they're going to go, one, you're difficult, two, you're going to be difficult to work with, three, you don't understand how the business operates. So you got to be aware of your brand and you got to be aware of how everything works. The you know, but so it, it's... It's so funny now because, and I want people listening to understand this, it's gone from the 90s from, you know, if you watch the movie The Player, which, yes, is, a cl sure. which is a classic Robert Altman film about the business, that first 10 minute shot yeah. in the film, yeah. it went from what those guys, what those screenwriters were doing, which was pitches. And yeah. people and, and studios buying pitches to then produce and attach and package and get a movie made to the point where we are today where... You need to have a full package ready to go, and that gives you a fighting chance. It doesn't guarantee. It gives you a fighting chance to get through the door because like you just said in your example, you've got this very well-known and beloved uh, showrunner, and that's not enough. That's like that's great. You've got a good foundation, but we need dressing. We need actors. We need directors. We know who else because there's so much – competition now for mm -hmm. these places that if you don't package something together you don't get involved in this kind of pod like you were talking about you, the chances of you getting it i mean when spielberg and fincher are having problems well, yeah. get, getting stuff done what what chances do you think the newcomer has so that's the world we live in whether you like to hear it or not it's the it's unfortunately the where we're at yeah but i would say at the same time a lot of and 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 it's a good it's actually a good kind of convergence of, of the conversation. Like you know, I said that they they ask us what else, but sometimes it's not what else. We also get this isn't a fit for what we do. Of course, or you know, or we or we we usually don't get that because we target people that are doing this kind of thing. But what we'll get sometimes is we're shifting gears, or sometimes we'll get we love the concept, but it's a little we think it's going to be a little expensive. That's all fine and good too. But again. How do you react off of that? And what do you do about it? And sometimes, you know, the Finches and the Spielbergs aren't getting a deal simply because it, <laughs> it's too expensive. It's, it's expensive. It doesn't make sense. It's not mainstream enough or whatever. And then sometimes you get first time show first time writers, and it happens all the time. They do get deals, but they get the deals because they bought some something more than the script, right? right? So I think that's something that we can impress upon the audience too, is when it comes to TV, 
Sometimes the script is not enough. But also, this is another mistake I see TV writers make all the time. And this is one of the things that we teach in the writer's room all the time is you see writers come in with a pilot and they don't have a, a pitch deck. And basically anyone can write a pilot that could knock your socks off, but every executive is going to want to know not only how does season one end, how does season three end? How does the show end? What happens with these characters? Where are the arcs? And you need to be able to hand them a pitch deck and say, here you go. In fact, the trend today is, and this has shifted dramatically over the last few years, a lot of times they don't even want to see the pilot. They want to see the pitch deck because they want to understand the world. They want to understand the entire thing. And if they like the world and they see the value in it, then they might say, okay, let me read the pilot. But isn't it, isn't it nowadays, like before, again, it's just that it's a shift in mentality because, again, in the 90s and early 2000s, you know, it was all about based on the pilot and how good the pilot. They weren't thinking about season two or season three because there was a 24-episode pickup and it was yeah. network yeah. and it was a whole thing. But in today's world, they're thinking about just buying out two or three seasons. And yeah. like, oh yeah, we're, look, if you give us three seasons, we'll probably, you know, we'll do the first season, see how it's done, but we're prepared to rock on the next two or three instantly. And we don't need it next year. We need it now. Yeah. My friend, uh, I had a friend of mine who works uh, Cobra Kai. He, when I was talking to him, he's like, oh yeah, Cobra Kai's just coming out. And he's like, yeah, we already shot. We're editing season five already. Because yeah. Netflix bought, they're like, no, no, go right into next season. Yep. They did not want to wait. They're like, you know what, just in case... COVID, and that's the other thing, COVID might happen. There's a window, let's shoot in this window before God knows what else happens and shuts everything down again. So they were just preparing for it. And I was like amazed at that. They're like, they already knew that Cobra Kai was gonna be a big hit. Uh, season four was gonna be a big hit. And by the way, anyone who's not watching Cobra Kai, what are you doing with your life? Uh, you need to watch Cobra Kai. Uh, <laughs> um, and I like, anyway. I don't want to even. I, I could do a whole episode on Cobra Kai. I'm such a fanatic about Cobra and Yellowstone. Both those, both those, I could do episodes, complete episodes on. But it's the truth. So that is the. That's where the world is going, and that's where these these streaming platforms are going. And yeah, you know, you're talking about someone like Netflix, which is really creating a lot of IP. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. They are they they are buying a little bit of IP, but they're really creating new IP uh, or or leveraging. I mean, they they yeah they are buying, but they're buying in small pockets now. Their their goal, look, you know, at the end of the day, this is why everybody is going where they're going. There's only so many libraries that are left to buy. You got Lionsgate out there. You got Viacom. That it, are they going to be a buyer? Or are they going to be acquired? You know that every day. It's Sony, Sony. Well, not now. Not yeah, now, but, I, but certainly, you know, if you woke up one morning and you found out there was some sort of deal with Sony or some sort of M&A with Sony, you wouldn't be stunned. Shocked. Like, and you wouldn't be stunned with anything right now. Apple buys a studio. Apple, you just you wouldn't be surprised by anything at this moment. But the point of the matter remains, there's only so much content left to buy. So they have to go out and create it. And that's why they create, you know, they're, they're putting this committing this 17 billion dollar spend in Disney 33. They need to do it. So the Cobra Kai example is really interesting because Netflix says, again, if you watch Chris's workshop, this is in there. But Netflix, their way of viewing TV is tell us three seasons. OK. And what they're hopeful for is that maybe we can add a fourth and a fifth. But at a minimum, we have three. And now if you're thinking about the fact that they're going to spend 17 billion, 33 billion the next year. And I think they're talking about maybe 50 billion in 2024. 
what they can do now is they say, okay, if we have show A, if you just produce show A and we know this is going to be at least three seasons, in our forecast, we could plug in season two in 2024, season three in 2025. So good. That's one line done. That's what they were spending there. We're spending there. So that's why they want to know three. And if they can get beyond three, fantastic. That's like, you know, playing with house money in their opinion. There are other platforms that think much longer and, you know, like a platform like Showtime, they're like, frig, man, if we could, we can milk 10 years out of this, we'll milk 10 years out of it. And you saw it with like the affair and Homeland and you're seeing it right now with billions. They'll go seven, eight, nine, 10 years. HBO is the same way, although HBO has shifted a little bit into let's do uh, limited series, but let's do multiple series, multiple seasons of the limited series, right? And what? Why do they yeah, do that? Yeah, true detective, and yeah, yeah. Well, and look at like like uh, White Lotus, whatever the hell the name right, is. Right, yeah, yeah. White, right. White Lotus, I don't know. But the point of the matter is they're bringing a whole new cast to season two. So why is why would they do that? Well, they don't have to give raises to everybody from season one. So again, if you don't understand, you got to understand the business, and you got to ask yourself like these are questions you really honestly need to ask yourself: Is my show a series? Is my show a limited series? Is is there enough for it to be three seasons, or is there, you know, is it there's a finite end? It's based on something real. Like the show we're pitching is based on a true story. And we've been asked in pitches, they're like, well, you know, I see you see three seasons, but is there any way you could do this in six episodes? And I'm like, well, the story takes place over six years, so it'd be really difficult to do. I'm not saying we can't, but I'm saying that. And then they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they think that way, and you got to be able to have an answer to that. But to be able to have an answer to that, you have to understand how the business operates. Right. And, and like, I'm sure everyone's trying to figure out how to make a sequel to Queen's Gambit. Like, everybody's trying to figure out how can we leverage Queen's Gambit, even though that was a one-off. Obviously, it's a one-off. Like you know, and if you try to do something, you know, contrived, just to squeeze out another seat, like they did with Tiger King, by the way. Like I, I couldn't watch. Well, Tiger King was an anomaly. But then, like I, I watched like the first 10, 15 minutes of, of Tiger King second season. I'm like, why am I watching this? This is garbage. Yeah. This is garbage. About like the fifth episode of the first one. Like, no, no, no. The, I was. Just, it was the pandemic. Don't judge me. Um, <laughs> we were we were locked up. If you want to do this Cobra Kai episode and this Yellowstone episode? I will just come down there and sit next to you in full garb. Yes. <laughs> because I swear to God. You know, I mean, be... but but so look. Let's actually look at Cobra Kai for a second because Cobra Kai. I saw it on YouTube. When it yeah. first originally, it was I was an original Cobra Kai fan when it came out on YouTube uh, Red or whatever the hell they called it, premium, and then it kind of died on YouTube. It was very popular on YouTube, but it died because nobody had there was no eyeballs on it. So then they're like, when YouTube Red shut down and they had this show, Netflix like, oh, we'll take the Karate Kid show. On paper, this doesn't sound good. On paper, mm-hmm. this is like this is not a good idea. On paper, yeah. and but they bought it. It exploded, and then I mean, it became the number one show ever on mm-hmm. on on Netflix. And then it's just grown and grown and grown. And I I talk to the guys I know on 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 Cobra Kai, and I go, how much how much longer can we go with this? Like how how many more seasons can you guys squeeze out? Because they're good. They're not they're not waning. Season four was excellent and ended amazingly, setting up season five like in a way that you're like. Like, but there's only so many more characters they can go back to. Like, there's only, and I don't know if you know this or not, but the rules are any movie that has Mr. Miyagi in it is part of the lore. So that doesn't include uh, the the Will Smith reboot with, that doesn't include anything that has Mr. Miyagi in it is where they can pull characters from. 
Interesting. So that's so, the rights must have traded off when they did the Will Smith. Thing. No, it's not the rights. No, Will Smith's a producer on the show. It's all there. But creatively, creatively, they don't pull from anything else other than if Mr. Miyagi was in it. So that's why we went. We, we exhausted at Karate Kid 1, exhausted Karate Kid 2. Now they've, they've pulled in all the char- almost all the characters from Karate Kid 3. Right. And now the only other one is the next uh, the next Karate Kid, which was with Hilary Swank. And and that would be effing amazing if they brought Hilary Swank in. <laughs> but it's interesting that they grabbed this IP and then took off with it. And it was really interesting. And something like Glow, before they canceled it because of um, COVID, right. that was, a, that was a, a niche IP. Only guys of your, you and my age would even remember Glow. Growing well, up, you see, you got two different types of uh, of IP, right? Right. So, this is another thing that a lot of these these platforms are doing. So, you know, when I say what I said earlier about the fact that there's only so many libraries you could pull from or so many right. libraries to buy, that is true. There, there's a finite amount of content that could be bought, right? So, as far as existing libraries that trail back, so. What, they, what a lot of these, and clearly Disney is the king of this, right? What they're doing is they're taking the IP that they own or the IP that they can get their hands on and playing into the nostalgia aspect, right? So that's one thing. Something like Glow, what's really fascinating about that show is, you know, they, they pitch that around quite a bit. And, you know, it's, it's an interesting concept. But again, it's like this is something that Chris talks about, too, on, on the workshop. Why did Why? Why? Why that show? It's not that people knew that world it's right. that the characters are these female characters and the female empowerment aspect is what sold the show so again if you understand what we're talking about when you and i say you know understanding the industry and paying attention to what's happening we're not talking in code here we're talking it's not always like you know like this the show we're pitching with Weddle is you know it's a crime it's a true story 1950 late 1950s crime corruption, you know, on the surface, you could sit there and say, it sounds like a billion other shows, you know, it's like Bulwark Empire West, let's say whatever, right. But so when we go in to do our pitch, we talk about what the cat what the show is about, like, what are the characters about? What are the themes that we're going to hit in this show? What are we trying to say? And how does it relate to the world today? Politics, global warming, like all this shit is involved in what happened in this environment back then there wasn't global warming back there. But the 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 ignorance to what was happening with the environment leads to the destruction of what happened in the space, right? When you bring that in, you could see when you're doing these Zoom meetings, and I've done some of them in person too, when you start bringing in those themes and everything like that, they go, <laughs> that's interesting to them, right? That's the, that's the, but that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, when I listen to people pitch or when people approach me or, you know, we were in Austin, for example, yeah. and, you know, I were hanging out and, you know, invariably I'll get, you know, over the course of a week and a hundred screenwriters that'll walk up to me and start pitching me their stuff or giving me their log lines or telling me about their story. And it's fascinating to me how many of them talk about the world and not about the characters. And at the end of the day, the only reason why we watch the best piece of advice I ever got, not that I didn't know this, but it was good to hear it from a Yoda type figure in the business. My original manager, David Greenblatt, like, you know, David founded Endeavor uh, with Ari Emanuel. He still manages Shane Black. He's managed him since Lethal Weapon. The guy is a genius. The guy has known the business inside and out. He knows story inside and out. And he basically said to me, he goes, We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. 
your world, he goes, Star Wars, he goes, you could have taken Star Wars' character, he goes, and put him in a bar in Boston like Cheers. He goes, and played on the same themes. He goes, you know, without the mysticism, without all the bullshit, he goes, and you would still have these amazing, rich characters, right? And he goes, at the end of the day, he goes, you're taking relatable character traits and relatable things that people will experience in life that they could hold a mirror to with the with the, with those characters and they could hold a mirror to themselves and you could put them anywhere but you need to be able to explain what are the themes what are these characters going to experience and he said and, and this is film or tv by the way it's film or tv you know at the end of the day we see a lot of films that are very very similar in theme or or in world even like crime dramas and all this stuff what sets them apart the characters what makes us go back to watch them again? The characters. We fall in love with the characters. Who oh. do we call them? The characters, right? So, but we have, you know, so if you're a writer out there on any level, or even a filmmaker or a producer or a financier pitching a project, the characters are everything, man. Make well, bad. Right. Like you don't go back and watch Seinfeld and Friends because of they, they're in New York. Mm -hmm. You know, New York is just happens to be the backdrop. You don't watch Indiana they're Jones. They're in certain, in certain, in certain. Absolutely. You know, there's no, no, there, it's a character in it, but you could take friends and put them in Boston. 100%. But you then put, Boston would become a character, right? Right. You know, like Cheers, that Boston-ish shit, because talk about the Red Sox and, you know, that, that culture is embedded in that show. But you're 100% right. That could have been a bar in Austin. It could have been a bar anywhere. Right. It invoked the culture. And then if you look at something like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to Yellowstone. I mean, yeah, Yellowstone is in Montana. But you could put that in Texas. You could put that in any any place where there's horses and the cowboys and a ranch, and it, it would work perfectly fine. Uh, well, read that Taylor Sheridan article. I don't think he would be having none of it. No, obviously Taylor has has funny shot at the Taylor Sheridan article. the Taylor Sheridan article. He they called him and he said, you know, they're interested in talking to you, and he's like, I'm not coming in for a meeting. So they sent a plane to Park City. They put him on a plane to come for a forty-five minute, forty-five minute meeting at Paramount. It's fucking classic. It's, it's a great it, art. It's a, no, it's 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 a, it's amazing because I love, you know, a lot of people don't know about Yellowstone. Yellowstone is not very well known. It's known within the business. Now, because, now well, it's now it's it's grown. Yeah. It's grown. We're in season four. Yeah, no, it took four years. It, it's and it's and people are listening and people are watching now. But I would say that if you just take Yellowstone as it exists right now and throw it on Netflix, it would explode in a way that we couldn't even understand. Because it's just they, because Paramount doesn't have the you know Paramount Plus definitely doesn't have the audience, and Paramount Network where it started it didn't have the audience. So it was just this quiet little show that had Kevin Costner in it. That's all they knew. It's like a cowboy show with Kevin Costner. It wasn't a big deal. And I just started. I think we. I think I came in on season two is when I came in on it. And I was like, oh, I hear it's really good. And you hear rumblings like, oh, it's really well written. And you watch it, you're just like, Jesus Christ. And then the ca it's character, man. The ca Taylor writes such amazing dialogue, such amazing characters, the arcs of the season. It's remarkable. And then you start seeing him, what he did with uh, Mayor of Kingstown, and now 1883. And then he's got uh, the Four Sixes coming out afterwards. And now he's building. And I I've never seen this before. Ever in in maybe Shonda with Shonda Land Shonda Rhimes, but in the corner of the episodes, it's like the Taylor it's Taylor Sheridan universe or Taylor Sheridan. Oh yeah, man. It's read right this, there. Read this article, dude. 
It's like literally, oh, I, I'm like, so what Taylor was able to do, because look, Taylor's a very talented screenwriter, and he was, I mean, he did Sicario, he did uh, Hell in High Water. He's known as a, a, and he was also an actor. He was also in uh, Son of Anarchy and a couple other things. But what he was able to do, and I got to read this article now because I really want to read it because I was like, how he was able to leverage this, and I'm assuming it didn't happen all overnight, but they figured out they're like, Oh, Yellowstone's a thing. Maybe we should let this guy do some other stuff. And he is running with it. He's grabbing it and running with it. And now he's literally building out a universe in off of the Yellowstone uh, brand, which is just fascinating to watch just from a business standpoint and a creative standpoint because he's got carte blanche. He does whatever the hell he wants. They just write him a check. It's pretty fascinating to watch right now, but he's successful. and He's really good. Yeah, I, yeah, and I again, we'll maybe we'll put it in the the show notes or whatever. We'll put a link to the article because it, it, I think it's an edu- I think it's a a uh, you know a masterclass in how these things happen and how they could fail because you know this is a Viacom Paramount Plus production. Viacom only owns a piece of that. It, it, like there's there's so many moving parts to how this happened and then how they got into the Taylor Sheridan business after it became a hit, and it's fascinating. But there's a lesson in here as well. There are a lot of writers out there, and you know, like oh, I don't want to write for a network show, or I don't want to, I don't want, <laughs> I'm, I, I don't want my film on Netflix because it's going to get buried and nobody's going to see it. And you know, I'm not saying that's not even valid. I'm not saying you won't get picked up from the algorithm, or but you want to be working, and and you want to be able to say you're a produced screenwriter on any level, any way that you can, because the other thing that's happening right now, again, with this content buy and what Paramount Plus, what what they realized is. Again, if we're going to spend more money, let's go with the entity we know. So let's instead of going to find more shit, let's go to Taylor and say, hey, what else are you thinking? And oh, OK, yeah, we'll do that. OK, yeah, we'll do that. OK, yeah, we'll do that. And guess what? They're filling up their roster. This is happening over and over and over again. There is a commitment by this is why Netflix and some of these these platforms are giving deals to even actors. Show- you know, you know well, even to actors to say, if you're tending up a production company, we want to see what you're bringing in. Okay, it's the reason why Jamie Foxx right now is producing like 15 movies that he's not going to be in because he knows that this if he does it right, they're going to be like, what else you got? What else you got? What else you got? We want more. We're going to buy more. So it's not only the great content gold rush because there's so much content that there's so much money that needs to be spent and so much content being produced. But it's a content gold rush because if you play your cards right and you embrace the long game and you get out of your head, for example, that if you're not. Uh, a sh- you know, if you never run a show, if you've never been on a show before, been in a writer's room before, that you're not going to be the showrunner if somebody buys your show, but you'll be happy to be in the writer's room and work your way up. And you already got the ear of people because they're buying your shit. Man, you can fast track right now. It's not a five year process to get the showrunner. It could be season two, okay? Because they they they're running out of showrunners. They're running out of people to do this. Right. Stuff, right. So it's just I I always. It fascinates me when people shoot themselves in the foot and everybody's sort of like, oh, you know, I don't want to take the low money from Netflix. I want the residuals. I want this. I want that. I'm not going to put my film on there and have nobody see it. I want theatrical and theatrical doesn't even exist anymore. You want to be a working writer. And if your first paycheck is not what you, you know, is not going to allow you to go buy, you know, a house on the beach. So be it. Okay. But get in the fucking game. Like, you know what I mean? Stop listening to everybody on freaking broad-based social media, by the way. I mean, somebody sent me a Facebook thread, screenwriting Facebook thread the other day. I looked at this thing, and I was like, this is carnage. 
like the the shit that was being disseminated by people who had never done anything in this business, have never sold anything, that were preaching their gospel and other people were eating it up like it was like God came down, you know, Moses came down from the mountain. It's it's debilitating and it's it's going to set you back years. Do whatever you can to get your ass in the game. And oh, by the way, curate your social media feeds and put yourself on platforms. Like, you know, the reason why I started Stage 32 is that's all we talk about is film. Okay. And we have professionals in there talking about it. All of it. We have 3,000 executives. They're in the platform talking about the business. Nobody's ripping anybody down. Nobody's telling anybody they're an asshole. What they're doing is they're disseminating the proper information on how to navigate this business. And it's up to you totally up to you to treat your career like i always say and alex says it all the time as well you're the ceo of your career if you are not if you were running a business okay if you did a startup tomorrow would you just go out and listen to all these people who have never done it all these people that are aspiring to do it in the same way you're doing it or would you surround yourself with people who have done it well that's what a lot of people do on broad-based social media screenwriting twitter film twitter some of these facebook groups that are just poison and then they end up setting themselves back years because they're listening to advice that doesn't translate to reality. And I, I mean, look, you know, at, if you want to look at reality right now, I mean, I just read in the trades that Red Notice, the, the, the biggest Netflix film of all time, which, you know, I watched. It's okay. It's fine. It's fine. It was, it's, it's, it couldn't tie me to a chair and pry my eyes open. It was, it was fine. It was fine. It was okay. I love The Rock and I love Ryan Reynolds and like you got the, basically the two most charismatic human beings on the planet in one movie. And you're like, I'll watch it. It was fine. They've now committed to Red Notice 2 and Red Notice 3 back mm -hmm. to back. That doesn't – that never had happened before really other than the Back to the Future 2 and 3 back in the 90s. Like it doesn't, it doesn't happen in the studio system in the normal world. But now – and those aren't like little movies. Those are huge movies and not based on IP. That's an original IP that was created on Netflix, and they just know that out that the data is so compelling that they're like, "Well, we slot it for 2022. We slot it now for 2023. We got to take those off. Take off to take those off." And then, they, and like you start seeing all of a sudden now, all you see is Sandy Bullock coming out with movies on on Netflix, and you're like, "Okay, Sandy Bullock movie done. Check, check another boom. Check. Okay, uh, when's Marty? Is Marty coming out with another movie soon?" Okay, let's. Okay, he's over at Apple now. Next time he'll come over here, and they'll just start. They're just going after these these people constantly, and just because they need to fill, they need to fill, man. Every week, every week they've got a tentpole movie coming out. Every week, almost, it's insane. Well, I mean, they released what forty two movies in Q four of 2021. 42 movies. You know, extrapolate that out. That's one hundred sixty eight movies over the course of a year. That's literally one every other day. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Um, they're committing to more. They're committing to, I, I forget the number in 2022, the, the sheer number of movies was pretty much close to one a day. And it's going to extend into 2023 and 2024. And it's going to go up. So the idea that now, of course, are all those films going to be quality? No. Are all those films going to be high budgets? No fucking way, Right. There's always for every red notice, you're going to have, you know, 10, 20, you know, five to 10 million, two to five million, whatever. OK, that are going to get made with people that you never heard of before, whatever. OK, if you are one of those screenwriters that wrote one of those movies and you're just thinking like, oh, my God, that sounds so soul sucking in comparison to maybe the way the industry ran 
you know, 20 years ago, yeah, I can understand why, because you wanted theatrical and you wanted, you know, 2000 screens and all that crap and everything. I get it. But if you're not shifting with the times and you're not understanding that that gets you in the game and that that allows you to go to the next thing and to the next thing and the next thing and to the natural thing that's going to happen is what else do you got? What else do you want to work on next? Then you're missing the, you're, you're missing the idea of how you build a career in this business in 2022. And it's the same thing for directors. You know, if, if, you know, they need to hire people to do fucking 42 movies in a quarter, you got to have directors, you know, 200 movies a year, 300 movies a year. And that's just one platform for freak's sake. I mean, like, you know, you're talking about Apple doing their spend and Disney doing their spend. Oh, so you got to be able to put yourself in the game. The, and position this, yourself. the scary, the scary, the scary, um, unknown quantity, uh, the, the beast in the room that no one's looking at is Apple. Because Apple could out Apple could outspend everybody tenfold. Mm -hmm. If they and they're starting and they're starting to they're slow and methodical, but they're mm -hmm. starting to build up and they're starting to build up and it's starting. You could you could start seeing it because now I I subscribe to them because I saw I love I love the morning show. Uh, I watched the morning show and I I, I got in for Ted Lasso because everybody was talking about Ted Lasso. I was like I got to watch Ted Lasso and it's it's great. Ted Lasso is fantastic. Um, and then Finch with Tom Hanks and. But 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 it's it, but they're the giant that that at any moment could come in and really do and look Disney Disney was quiet until now they're outspending Netflix which no one really saw coming at the well, beginning. Well, attention to them too. They're they're starting to spend. They they want to go back. It's almost like the Touchstone days. So they they want to go into the adult again, right? They want to go into adult oriented material, not have everything be you know uh, kitty friendly. All yeah, the, all the IP stuff that they have. So that's another opportunity for us. But you're hundred percent right. I say this. This is going to sound like an insult, but I'll say it as a compliment. I always call Apple, and it's the biggest compliment I can pay as a business person, as, a, as somebody in the tech world. Um, Apple is the ultimate snake in the grass company. They're always lying in wait, and you never know. Like, while everybody's looking up over here at the beautiful trees, they're moving along, and and it's with everything, whether it's freaking EVs. An iPhone. Or, like, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm moving EVs now, automated driving, all this stuff. They, but... Absolutely, there is no way that Apple is not going to make a significant move. I mean, they already are in the content space, but I mean, like, I am waiting for that day where they, you know, leap up and bite you in the calf, and all of a sudden, everybody's oh, like, oh, they'll, they'll buy, they'll buy Sony. They you might. Know, they'll I buy Sony. They'll buy Sony. They'll, they'll, you know, I don't know if they'll buy Lionsgate. I don't think that's a the content doesn't match, but um, because they're not just a library, they're very specific with the stuff they're doing. They're not. Well, Interesting, right? Because do they go like you look at what HBO does, right? HBO right. is well, they're extending their buys, but they're still staying in within their brand, which is the prestige brand, right? So HBO is very interesting right now because they are extending, but they're not losing sight of who they are. Apple, if you you know, if you had to put everybody into columns right now and you're forced to put them into columns, you would sit there and say, Apple almost seems like they're gunning for HBO. They're going for the prestige type stuff with the big names, and right? That's Right. Like that, but I don't believe for a second with their reach and with everything that they got going on, they still may go high level. But I think that they're going to go high, like you know, high level on steroids. I think they're going to go, you know, for the big, maybe the big content buy, maybe maybe the big library buy. That's certainly in play. But you know, that historically they don't really do that kind of thing. They're not usually an acquirer, not too often. You know, like even the Beats thing. When they did that happen, like that was like one of the first, everybody was stunned because they didn't do that kind of thing, you know, not for billions of dollars. They just create their own, right? 
But in this particular case, you know, this is an arms race right now, right? This is an arms race for dollars. You know, Disney, which is so interesting about Disney to me, was Nep Disney was first sort of like, yeah, we're going to do this spend, you know, and we're going to stick with our IP and we're going to do all this stuff and whatever. And then as soon as Netflix said, we're going $17 billion and we're going around the world. Like we have enough, not that we have enough U.S. content, but we have enough of a pipeline to get more. And, you know, we, we know where to go to get more. We need to go around the world and get more of that stuff. All of a sudden, you know, Chappick was on CNBC going, oh, yeah, by the way, we're uh, going into adult content and we're going all over the world for local language and we're spending $34 billion. And it was like, wait, what? That was a massive shit. You just went from first gear to 50. Like, what, what the hell just happened? Right. But everybody else has to answer. I'm sure that made everybody at Apple go, you know, get up on their on their heels a little bit and say, wait, what? OK, you know, how do we compete with that? At the end of the day, you know, people are only going to have so many subscriptions. They're only going to be able to hold so many. So, you know, you're going to have consolidation in the space. Not everybody's going to survive. You're definitely going to have more M&A. Um, you know, you do have those few libraries that are hanging out there. I think Viacom is, a, is so much a wild card. Like I oh. said, where are they? An acquirer. What are they? You know, does the shift with the Paramount deal make, you know, and, and Yellowstone and that, does that shift their thing? It's so interesting. But you can see why they pulled themselves. I mean, they were actively pursuing a sale up until about September, and then they pulled themselves off the market, or at least they, they fronted that. They announced that, and they fronted that. And you wonder why. You know, part of it could be like, you think you can get me, but now you can't, and now you got to raise your price, and now you got to sweeten the deal. Or part of it could be they, you know, it's almost like a team that hits the trade deadline, and they're kind of, you know, right on the cusp of the playoffs. So, like, you know, are they buyers or sellers? And I think well, that's kind of the place that they're at right now. Well, we, you and I, uh, last year, I think, when we were, I think when, it was last year or the COVID, I think it was the COVID episode when, when COVID hit, and you and I talked about what was going on in the business. I mean, we called it out, MGM. We're like, MGM's going to be bought. Like the yeah. li that library is going to be bought. So there's no question in my mind that Viacom will be purchased at one point. I don't know if they have, you know, so look, Sony has been in trouble for a long time. And now because of Spider-Man and Marvel's connection to Spider-Man and what they were able to do, that's an anomaly. And yeah, they'll be able to make a few more Spider-Man movies and they'll make a, a couple Bond movies. But generally speaking, you know, they're not, they're not Disney. They don't have the IP that Disney has. Right. They don't. Nobody has the IP that Disney has. Warner Brothers is the next closest one uh, that that has anything like that. But uh, but I think you're I think you're absolutely right. I think Sony will go somewhere. Uh, I, I've been saying Paramount for a long time too, and I don't think I don't know. Maybe this new shift to Paramount Plus. We'll see how that plays out. I'm not sure how many people are signing up for Paramount Plus because again. Well, yeah. Thing has helped tremendously. It was the most streamed show, I think. You know, which one? Last Yellowstone. Oh no, Yellowstone's the, the, without Taylor Sheridan, the yeah. entire company goes down. <laughs> the thinking, right? Because the Viacom, it's it's a complicated thing because there would have to be some unraveling. Not to bore the audience with all of this, but I'm saying there would have to be some unraveling. Actually, it shouldn't bore the audience because every single thing that we're talking about creates opportunity. Every single thing here, everything yeah. that we're talking about. Um, but they would have to unravel some of this. Like, again, when you read this Yellowstone article that I was telling you about, you'll see that, like, you know, part of the problem was, was that, like, Viacom really wasn't benefiting at, off of this as much as they wanted to because of what they had done with Paramount+. Plus. So 
there becomes sort of this complex thing that's going on right now, which is why it fascinates me that Viacom kind of pulled themselves back. You know, Viacom CBS we're talking about, by the way. So you're talking about the whole CBS, you know, that whole library as well. You know, they're pulling themselves back, right? So we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Does this, does a hit and getting into bed with a guy like Taylor Sheridan, where you know you're going to have, you know, Mayor Kingstown's going to be a hit if it isn't already, and you know the Yellowstone prequel is going to blow up. It did. So <laughs> does that change? Right. Does that change the entire, or does that just raise the price or raise the attractiveness or whatever? But that's see the thing is, is that all of this shit that we're talking about, everybody positioning themselves in a way to either make themselves more attractive to be bought or. Uh, you know, escalating the war, so to speak, benefits every single creator, every single professional, whether a producer, a financier, whatever, listening to this show right now. What, what did so regularly? What was the MGM library sold for? Do you remember? No, I don't. I forget. The it would say like it's like but we, we were talking like five billion, eight billion. I mean, I could. I, could I mean, but it's, it's somewhere in that world, right? So why wouldn't Netflix buy that? Because Amazon bought them. Yes. Well, I'm sure they 8.45. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they, I'm sure they, I'm sure they bid on it. I'm just sure that, you know, maybe they just thought, you know, again, that their, their money is better spent on original content. And that's what they want to be. You right. know what I mean? Amazon, you see, it's, it's really interesting because we haven't even touched on them. What's so fascinating about Amazon is I was on the phone literally with an executive yesterday whose production company has a first look deal with Amazon and has done a bunch of films with Amazon. I'm not going to name them because I don't want people spamming them and emailing them. But mm -hmm. they've done some of the biggest ones, including one that might be nominated this year. So they were talking about, like, you know, Amazon has a very complex system right now. They're figuring out their way. Like, you know, like, what do they really want? Do they want, because they've done it both ways for them. They've gotten, like, ex they've gotten involved, this production company has gotten involved with existing projects that were on the way that needed some finishing, and they came in late, and then they brought it to Amazon, and it sold. And they've also been involved with Ground Up, you know, from, from the script on, right? And they're like, you know, she said to me, this executive, she's a top uh, senior v SVP at this company, said, um, they're, every time you talk to them, they're kind of like, we're going to go this direction. We want, we want to buy more stuff. And then it's like, we want to create more stuff. We want to buy more stuff. We want to develop more stuff. So I feel like they're kind of in this weird nebulous space too, but I don't see how they don't go out and increase their spend as well on original content. I think they have to. So I think that ultimately this is where they will go. Will they buy one of these existing libraries that are out there? They certainly can. Okay. But does it increase the value or make more people want to buy prime to get more shipping and to, you know, they enter that flywheel that they talk about all the time. I don't know. I don't know, but they it's, are certainly buying content as well and, and developing it. So no, yeah. And they're the only they're the only company that has a completely different business model than all the other streamers, because it's a it's an add on it's a plus. They did the same thing with the music. They did, you know they just kind of like oh here's a little bit of you get this for free. You get this for free if you just sign up for a hundred whatever I I buy one hundred twenty bucks hundred forty bucks a year for Prime, and it, so for them it's just like a little little add on of value for Prime, which makes all the sense in the world. But my main question to you is. Can someone, I mean, they are, Amazon's a tech company, right? They're a tech company. Uh, mm -hmm. 
tech company, absolutely. Yeah, they're a tech company, right? Um, can someone please work on the freaking app? It looks horrible. That is a horrible, it's the worst app of all the streamers out there. It is ugly, it is nasty, it, it just, it is so unappealing and it has been for so long. Please, RB, you know people. Can you call somebody and say, please, for God's sakes, I, I, I will do that. I know the CEO of IMDb and, and the CEO of IMDb Pro, but I don't think they can do anything about it. Um, it looks, are, it, it, look, it looks like Sarkin 1996, man. It looks like yeah. MySpace designed it, dude. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Bezos <laughs> and I, ever since that crypto argument, haven't spoken. So we're going to, I'll, I'll. <laughs> no, it's just, it always fascinates me. I'm like, it's, I barely go there because it's so ugly and it's so hard to kind of navigate and there's so much crap on there. So it's hard to navigate that thing. And if I was actually paying for it, like if I was actually paying for it as a separate, I would have never in a million years bought it ever. It's a horrible interface. And the thing that's the, but that, you know, is that it's hell. That's something that, you know, I've talked about with people too. Is that it's hell that they're not really committed to it. I don't believe that that's the case. I think if mm -hmm. you wake up one day and it's really glossy and shiny, then you know that the probably next thing you're going to see is, is, uh, you know, something in, in variety that they, you know, are spending a gazillion dollars or, you know, in, in uh, ink or something or Forbes or something that they're spending a billion dollars. And they uh, listen to and they listen to this podcast, obviously. And they listen to this podcast and they're like, of course, you know, Alex and RB are right. Of course, they've been right about everything. <laughs> um, yeah, I, it, listen, you know, at the end of the day, for everyone listening, it's this is just such I keep saying it's the great content gold rush. It's such a an opportunity right now, but it, it's why it behooves you to start treating your life like a business. Uh, you know, your your career, like I said, your 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 entire being, where you're the CEO of everything you're doing, and and again, not wasting your time. I mean, right now is not a time to be. You know, everybody needs entertainment. Everybody needs to have downtime, and I get that, but. You really right now need to not be wasting your time on some of these threads and some of this stuff and put yourself in a position where, again, you're surrounding yourself with the right people, where you can get to the right people, where you're investing in yourself and investing your time. Because the competition, it, it, just because the doors are open wider than they've ever been, doesn't mean that there aren't more people trying to jam through those doors. And the question becomes, can you scale the wall? You know what I mean? Can you scale the wall as opposed to standing behind 60 billion people trying to get through the doors? And there are ways to scale the wall. And, and really, honestly, it begins with your relationships and your contacts and getting to people that can that want to be in the business with you and that can help you get to the people that you want to get to, the people that you can't get to yourself, which is really what this business is all about. I want to ask you, you know, there, there's something that Disney and Netflix um, and HBO are doing at a high level that a Sony and a Paramount aren't yet, and I'm fascinated why they aren't. I think the king of this is Disney, where they take one IP and yeah. they spin off shows. Yeah. So obviously Mandalorian was their test subject, and now there's literally, f I think in this year they're releasing five shows from, I think it's, I just literally saw this, it was like Book of Boba, a Mandalorian, the Orsatska, I uh, forgot her, I can't even say her name, you know, Rosario Dawson character. Yeah. And then two other, uh, Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan show and the um, the Rogue One prequel. All spinoffs of the Star Wars world. And then obviously, you know, Cobra Kai and, and all that kind of stuff. But you look at Paramount that has IP, mm -hmm. not maybe as glossy as 
as Disney. But let's let's just take it. I'm just going to spitball here. Let's take an IP like The Godfather or the IP of Top Gun that they own. Yep. Why wouldn't they spin off a show about fighter pilots and the drama that goes along with that that you know that that the Top Gun school after they release the Top the, the Tom Cruise thing? And Tom Cruise doesn't have to be a part of it, obviously, unless he produce it or something like that and maybe he does if you're lucky you know maybe you can come have him come in cameo once or twice and then mm-hmm. the end of that why couldn't they do a spin-off of the godfather take one of those characters and build a world around the godfather universe why mm-hmm. hasn't that happened because those like because it's all nostalgia right so the generation right now that's alive that's that's paying for all of these subscriptions are not the 18 year olds there, it's our generations, Generation X, Generation Y. Those are the guy, guys and gals who are buying into Cobra Kai. And yeah, other generations are, are jumping on board because it's good written stuff. But is that nostalgia that they're tapping into? So like, would I watch a Top Gun show? If it's well written, has good characters, I would. Would I watch a, the Godfather universe unfold in the mafia of that time and maybe fast forward and do like what they're doing with Taylor Sheridan? But why do you think they haven't done things like that? And I'm sure, and Sony has many other IP like that as well. Alex, this is your lucky day. <laughs> I have the answer to this question. Okay. I do. I have the answer to this question. So, um, and it's a great question, actually. I, we, I had the fortune of pitching this project, this television project that I'm talking about to Paramount Plus and to a develop, one of the lead development executives there. They really, really liked the project, okay? And what they said to me was, look, here's the deal. At this moment, we are setting our plans for 2022 and 2023. Now, again, that includes, are we a buyer? Are we we a spender? Or are we going to get acquired? Or is something else going to happen? Or are we going to merge? Or what's going to happen, right? So... The answer to your question is, so the way it was explained to me is, they. I don't know if you're aware of this, but the big play that Paramount is making this year outside of Yellows, which is not really a play on this year, right? I mean, they, all the spinoffs and all that, is a, a, a limited series on the making of The Godfather. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So oh, the making of the Godfather. The making of it. So they're using their IP of the Godfather, and they're basically telling the story about Robert Evans and you know the whole deal. How oh, narrative, not, not documentary. Narrative. Narrative. Oh, okay, perfect. Miles Teller, playing, Miles Teller I think, is playing, uh, maybe playing Evans. I forget who's playing, but Miles Teller is one of the big guys in it. And, and but it's you know it's cast up, it's stunted up, and by all accounts. You know, well, at least by their accounts, but they what they're telling me it's amazing and it looks I mean it looks I'm watching it. I'm watching I'm definitely, it. I'm definitely watching it night one. So the point of the matter is is that they're using their IP for that. What that IP is right now, what this show is, is a line in the water to see how the public responds. And if the public responds, so like this show that we're pitching kind of fits the sensibilities of this audience because it's crime, corruption, all this stuff and everything. So that's why he said, love this show, love this pitch, love this package. Got to give me a couple of months, right? So the answer to your question is, is that they're not going in for the big spend yet because they kind of want to see what they got. 
And are they going to commit a ridiculous amount of money and go it alone or go it stay the course and do original content? Right. Or are they going to drive up the price of what they have with Yellowstone, the spinoffs, Mayor Kingstown, and now this Godfather thing, and maybe either become part of a bigger package or something bigger or whatever? You know, I mean, like, what's that going to be? So that's the, that's the big answer right now. They're, they're still feeling their way. They're kind of in the infancy of creating new content, even though they've had Yellowstone for four years. It's not like they created Yellowstone and then did 30 other shows, 50 other shows. And you have a lot of, what's really interesting, we just got interest from, I, and I didn't even, I honestly, I have to be honest, I didn't really know, I knew this was a thing, but I didn't know it was an expanding thing. Spectrum Originals, so Spectrum, the cable network, right? Spectrum has produced six shows a year for the last few years. No one's and, seen it. <laughs> yeah, and basically what Spectrum, so think about it, what, what is Spectrum doing now? Spectrum knows that people are cutting the cord and they, so how do they keep them? They're going to try to create their own content. It's going to yeah. work. But they came to us for, they heard about the show that we're pitching and they said, we want to read it. We want the Bible. So we just sent it over to them a few days ago. But this is another example of the fact that there, this, there are going to be more and more and more of these companies or, and these streamers and these platforms and everything that are going to continue to move into original content. And not all are going to survive, but, and some get snatched up if they do it right. And yeah. you know, but again, it benefits everybody. So how? I mean, but in, in all honesty, though, I mean, no offense. Okay, let's say Directv starts building out their own content. I'm not sure if they are or they're not, but they can't compete. They can't compete on IP. They can't compete. Like you're not going to woo the best of the best. Well, go look at the. Well, that, here's what I'll say. To unless you. it's go cash. Look, look for this. Go on IMDb Pro and look up the Spectrum Originals and look at the cast of these shows. All A-list. There's only one. There's only one show I know of that. Of of that is it was the Jessica Alba show. Yeah, uh, that cop. That that one more than I knew. Right. That was the one show. That one cop show was. The, it, and it was a spinoff of Bad Boys. It yeah. was a Ga Gabriella. I forgot her last name. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Her and and Jessica, and it was the spinoff of her character from Bad Boys, okay. and there was two seasons of that and then it went on Netflix and that's the only time I even realized it was originally on Spectrum because I was looking oh when's the next season coming out and like it's not uh, <laughs> but they, they think Janet and Meryl Streep I mean they get names I mean it's just and they're, they, I'm sure they're paying up for it they got more money than God too right but the, the I guess at the end of the day like I said I think a lot of these platforms like that and even Paramount to go back to your question I think a lot of them are still feeling like you know ultimately at the end of the day you really have two choices right you either become a niche kind of, you know, you fit into some sort of niche where people want to come for this content. You know, you're going to get a limited audience, but that's good enough. Okay. Maybe there's three lanes. There's that. Okay. Which is, you know, you're like stars and stuff like that, which of course is owned by, you know, it's all this stuff that goes on and who's owned by who and who's a division of what and everything like that. But you're either in that lane, your own lane. You're in the prestige business like HBO and possibly Apple, Apple. or you're in the mass, you know, so, uh, you know, a spectrum is never going to be any of those. Right. Well, it's not going to be Netflix. It's going to be like they're going to find a niche of some sort if they can find it. Like, for example, one of the reasons why they were interested in the show is they're not afraid of period and they're not afraid of expensive. So they're basically saying, OK, maybe we could do six big budget prestige shows that maybe get us, you know, some sort of Emmy uh, awareness that uh, that raises our profile.
Is you know what? And I don't know. There's, it's interesting because I was talking to a showrunner of a very, uh, a very, very one of the biggest shows of all time, comedy shows of all time, and I was talking to them about how they got their start, and they got their start on HBO, mm-hmm. and on that show. I was asking him, like, how the hell did you guys were so young when you guys were brought on to show run? Like, you were, like, just starting out. And they're like, well, HBO didn't have they, – they were just starting out. They were, it was the Wild Wild West. They didn't care. So they basically gave the keys to the, to the inmates to run the asylum. And that's where that happened at Netflix at a certain point. Though the asylum, the, the 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 inmate was David Fincher, so not a bad inmate to start the ball rolling with. Depending on the perspective. Exactly, depending <laughs> on the perspective. But you know, they gave him with House of Cards, which like that was that because if people forget House of Cards was an ungodly deal for its time, oh, and it was on. such a huge risk that everybody in Hollywood was just like, "What is going on? This is insane." Um, I think that the only way these smaller ones are going to go is if they they pull out, they basically give the keys to the to the inmates on certain part on certain things, and if they can find that niche. And I think you're right. So like, could Spectrum become if the niche is big enough? I'm just throwing this out there. You know, could they become? Could have ta- could have Taylor Sheridan open up a Yellowstone in Spectrum with the same cast, the same everything, and could Spectrum have built? A whole network based off of that, and then okay, so we're we're gonna go Americana. We our thing is Americana, cowboys, uh, you know, down that because that's a huge country music. That's a huge, huge swath of of the U.S. Does that travel though? I don't know. So that's so these are all the things, but that's the only thing I think that's gonna give these guys a shot is they gotta let the the aside. The, the, Disney didn't have to do that. Disney owned all the IP, so they didn't give the key. Though they gave the keys a little bit to John Favre and Dave Foley for, with the Mandalorian. They're like, okay, you can kind of do what you want. Did you ever see that meme on Facebook? It's genius, uh, where you see uh, this giant train locomotive. And then you see this little tr- this little model train, and there's a string pulling the big one. You see conductors there, and you're like, the Star Wars universe, the Mandalorian. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. be- I mean, I think this is where we're going, though, right? I mean, Netflix is in the Shonda Rhimes, but like, you got people that they, you know these these streamers have figured it out that again, you know, to be able to fulfill this month, this amount of content, we need to have some short things. We need to have people that can produce it mass, right? It's sort of why CBS got into the uh, uh, the guy that created Two and a Half Men and and uh, oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Chuck Lore. Chuck Lore. Yeah, I mean they, that's why they got into the business of that, right? If you could produce five or six shows, we only have another ten slots to, to, to fill through our prime time in the next year, right? So why not go with the proven thing? Why not make the showrunner a star? You know, so that people actually know the audience knows that's a Shondaland or Shondaland, Shondaland, right? Movie goers know this is a Fincher movie. This is a Sorkin movie. It's whatever, a brand. Yeah. Amazon or whatever. I think that that's where we're going. I mean, I think that you're right. And I think this is why Paramount made the move they, they made with Sheridan is they basically said, okay, if we are going to make this move really into original content and go heavy, which it seems like that's where they're leaning. Like, again, you're at the trade deadline. Are we buyers or sellers? seems like they're leaning towards buying. If they're leaning towards buying, why not go with the proven entity See if we can build those up, that audience. See if we can build these subs up, and then let's go out and we'll test the waters with RIP, like you said, with the Godfather thing, and 
if that works, then it's the next thing, it's the next thing, it's the next thing, right? Like one of the things that they talked about, this executive talked about to me was um, if the Godfather, you know, one of the things they're talking about is because they own Chinatown, right? So they were like, you can, you can make a modern day Chinatown or. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. The, the book based on China, the, the great book uh, called the, uh, the the Last Goodbye or The Great Goodbye, I read it, mm-hmm. it's fantastic. Um, uh, it, look it up, it's great. It's about mm-hmm. Chinatown, but not within the last year. Um, that, the rights to that book are owned by Ben Affleck. Like they've been talking to Affleck about, you know, maybe that's the Chinatown thing that they do at Paramount because, you know. So there is going to be, again, every big star right now knows they see the writing on the wall. The day of the movie star, as it relates to film stars, is not coming back in a meaningful way, in any sort of meaningful way. You'll always have, you know, Orion Reynolds, The Rock, and, and Gil Godot in, in, a, in a red notice, but that's also not in theaters. That's on, you know, you're sitting on your couch watching it. They know that. So all of them are very, very happy to go do TV right now. They look at TV as the new film. This also gives creators out there an opportunity to be able to attach talent to your products, uh, projects. And that's why it's important that you cultivate these relationships because these actors know that the, the idea of being able to film three, to, to be in three films a year doesn't really exist in the way it used to, but you can be in a limited, you could be in two limited series and make a film in a year for sure. And you know, you look at Nicole Kidman, you know, Ricardo, she's on Big Little Lies. She's on, she did the, the other, the, um, what's the other one that she did? The other TV one that she did. Oh, the one with um, Hugh Grant, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so she's, I mean, you know, she's working constantly. But, you know, 10 years ago, if you told her to come do a limited series, she'd be like, are you kidding me? I got, you know, 15 films lined up over the next six years, you know? So that's that's why it's and it's it's an exciting time, too. And that's why it, there's this paradigm shift. And, and again, I know I keep harping on this. This is why you need to be listening to the right voices and, most importantly, be educating yourself every day on what's happening in the business. What do you think? Uh, I'd love to hear what you think about Universal, NBC Universal. You know, They don't have a streaming service yet. Or do they? I don't even know about it. They don't have a streaming service yet. They have... It's so funny. Right now, RB is going to his computer to yeah. check if Universal has announced a streaming service yet. Yeah, yeah Peacock. Yeah, of course. Peacock. Well, Peacock, I mean, yeah, Peacock is... But that's it. Again, this is another. This is another thing, right? Like, is Peacock? Yeah. But that is amazing. That I had it. But as I was typing it, I'm like, fucking Peacock. But I mean, but it's. it's but exactly. But look, you you it took you a second. So much because you know, they. The other thing, right? I'm in the trenches of this every day with Stage Thirty Two. Literally every day, I'm on the phone with executives every day. You never hear them come up. You very rarely hear. Never hear right? Peacock come up. Never. Like, like, you know, what do I hear come up all the time? Of course, it's the usual suspects: Netflix, Amazon, Apple, Disney. Yeah. It's you know, it is Paramount now because everybody's getting curious, right? It's, it's all of those over and over and over again. And then it's sort of like, who are the production companies that have deals? That's what I listen to all day long or I talk about all day long. Who are the actors that have deals? Who are the directors that have deals? Where do they have deals? What are the pods? And if people don't know what a pod is, basically the every manager agent in the business gets these pods where they're able to see what actor, what production company, where do they have a deal with? Where do they, you know, like where does... Uh, Brad Pitt's company have a deal with the yeah. TV, right? It's HBO, you know, is HBO, is it Showtime, is it whatever. And you get to see where these people have deals. And then basically, if you have some knowledge uh, and you're really planning things, like for us, again, period show, it's going to be expensive. We sit there and go, okay, first thing we think about is 
who makes this type of show? Okay, HBO would make it, Showtime would make it, Stars would probably make it. Okay, let's go see who has deals with them. And oh, let's go to them first. Because if we went to HBO first, HBO could fall in love with it, but HBO might say, yeah, but who, yeah, you have your showrunner, but like who package it more? Package it more and bring it back to us. Give us one of, you know, give us an actor right. that you know we like. Right, 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 right. Right? So, but that also, but again, every, you, you, you put the little fish on the line to catch the bigger fish, right? If HBO came back to us and said, you know, you know the actors we like to work with, go to their agents and whatever. We could sit there and go, okay, for our main guy, Bobby Carnavale is always on HBO shows. If they know, if, if we go to Bobby Carnavale's agent and uh, say to him, listen, we spoke to HBO and HBO said cast up with actors HBO likes, they're going to read. But if we just went right to that act, we went right to that actor's agents and said, you know, they might read because we have Weddle attached. That might be enough, but it might not be. You know what I mean? But again, this is how you need to be able to position yourself and how you need to be able to see the business. Everything in this business is a puzzle piece, man. Everything is a puzzle piece. Everything It's a chessboard. It really is. And you got to see three, four, five moves ahead. But you can't see three, four, five moves ahead if you're caught in the mentality of, I have a great project. It you doesn't know, matter. It, 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 yeah, everyone's yeah, got yeah, a great... Every, look, everyone's got a great... First of all, it starts with the idea. So everybody on the planet has an idea. Mm-hmm. Okay, everyone's got an idea. Then okay, then I've got a script. I got a great script. Okay, that's step next step. Okay, now I have a great project. When I say project, that means there's more than one person attached to it. Yeah, yeah. So now you have a project. Maybe there's money attached to it. Maybe there's, something, there's something, something, some sort of other value beyond the script. Like I would say, if I'm using the chessboard metaphor, I would say that the script you literally just set up your board. Okay, your pieces are all in place. All right. Mm-hmm. What's your next move? Right. What's your next move? Can I get money? Can I get a showrunner? Let's just say if it's TV, money, showrunner, attachment, production company, producer. Um, if it's film, you know, can I get a director? You know, which is gold. And when it comes to film, you know, film's a different thing. TV, it's more the showrunner. Just right. I'm sure people are curious about this. You know, if you ask me, like, what's the first thing I should go after if I'm packaging something for TV? I would say showrunner. probably a showrunner. And maybe a name producer and or maybe a name producer because maybe you don't have the contacts to the showrunner, but that producer might. Okay, But a cast a cast as well, obviously. Always cast. Yeah, but, a producer, but if you get a great producer on board, they may, they may go after the cast, right? You know that, But again, you're bringing the piece that can bring more pieces. With film, I would say you know, it's either money or uh, – well, I'll say three things. Money, a name producer that can get to money or can get to talent, and, and or a director. So do you happen to know that the longest how the longest running Netflix show in history, which is what? Do you know that what the show is? You got me. I don't know. Grace and Frankie. Oh, I would never have guessed that. Great exactly. No one ever have guessed that. And I and I found out the story of how Grace and Frankie came to be. And it was like uh Martha Kaufman happened to find out that oh, I heard that Lily Tomlin and James Fonda were looking to do television. This is seven years, eight years ago. And she called up her agent and was like, hey, I heard that Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin are looking to do television. What What's going on? 15 minutes, they call up, and apparently it was that each of them individually were thinking about doing television. And then the agent calls back, like, yeah, they were thinking individually, but now they want to do it together. And I go, really, why? He goes, because you called. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the power of the showrunner. The showrunner attracted the, audience, the, the the cast, 
and has honestly written one of the best sitcoms of recent, in my opinion, one of the best sitcoms in recent years. I hope that everybody's listening is taking this, you know, that's listening is taking it constructively. I have an agent friend that brought a show to Showtime. This is a well-known agent and this is a, you know, a um, person that's sold, you know, I mean, he's, he's one of the top and packaged it, checks all the boxes. He has diverse hires in there. It's got some great characters, checks all the boxes for Showtime. Uh, what they're looking for, which you need to know as well. Like, what are they looking for? And they still basically said to him, they were like, he called them in the morning and he thought it was a slam dunk. He's like, when can we have, when can they pitch? And he came back and they were like, ah, we don't think we're interested. And they were like, how can you not be interested? They said, you know what, let, let, we'll get back to you. And they got back to him in the afternoon. They emailed him and basically said, you can send us the deck, but we don't want to hear the pitch yet. And this was with a major package. So the point of the matter is, is that wow. he adjusted on the fly. Every single other place he's brought it to, they're like, oh, my God, yeah. Like, we'll listen to this pitch. Like, oh, my God. But it just goes to show you that, you know, you got you to gotta have multiple lines in the water. You have to keep perspective. You have to realize that there's only for, like, companies like Netflix where they're spending this kind of money, yes, the opportunity is great. They do need, a, they need to fill a quota. But places like Showtime and HBO, certainly they want to bring in more content, but they're doing it at a, a lower level and they only have so many spots to fill. And they already are in the business of so many people that are bringing them stuff and have first look deals with a million other people that you have to be able to say to yourself, OK, I think my I think it's a great show for HBO that you position yourself in a way to get there. But then you prepare yourself with five, six other places to bring it, you know, and you don't put all your eggs in one basket because you know, they may have their quota filled for 2022. They may have their quota filled for 2023. Or they may only have like four or five spots open or eight spots open when it comes to like narrative shows, let's say. Okay. So you got to, you got to keep perspective with everything. You got to keep, you got to, like I said, stay on top of every single announcement that's being made in deadline and other places, who's doing what, who's moving where, who's looking for whatever. And you got to put yourself in a position to win. You know what I mean? So to close off the episode, sir, what chance and what should, a better question, what should a screenwriter do, a, a young screenwriter or someone who's just starting out, wants to get their stuff seen, wants to get into the business, best piece of advice for writers and best piece of advice for a filmmaker or director? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Clearly, if you're just starting out as a screenwriter or a filmmaker, you need to, to take action. You need to do. You need to learn the craft. You need to, you know, keep writing and, and obviously create stuff and get proper feedback on it. You need to go to, you know, like I say, invest in yourself. Okay. One of the reasons why, I mean, we've talked about this in the past, but one of the reasons why the only way I would do development services on stage 32 was if there was full transparency and you were getting reviewed by executives working in the business and you get to do that. So my first suggestion would be get your script, write Jason, like I keep saying, at j.merch, M-I-R-C-H, at stage32.com. Let them know what you're working on. Let them know the log line, the genre, the, the budget, and he can point you in the right direction. So that's the first thing. The second thing is for every creative that lives, that's listening to this thing, community is more important than it's ever been. Um, relationships are more important than it's ever been. Trust me when I tell you, when, when with everything that we've talked about today about these streamers and everything like that, 
they want to move fast. And the only way they can move fast is to work with known entities, right? They can't keep saying like, let me take a shot. Let's develop this thing. It's going to take two years to develop it. So you need to be connecting with people that are like-minded and that can help you and that can elevate you. And I'm sorry, but I think on broad-based social, it's the reason I started Stage 32, because I wanted a platform that's just people like us talking about this stuff and not about their salads arguing for 24 hours about slug lines, okay? You, you need to stop wasting your time with that shit and put yourself in a position to win and invest in yourselves, okay? And then the third thing I would say is, man, you have to know the business. I know we keep repeating ourselves, but you have mm-hmm. to know the machinery of the business, all right? And, you know, put yourself in a position where you could speak knowledgeably about what's going on and that where and where, you know, your knowledge is your brand, man. You have to have a brand people. And the most important part of your branding can be that, you know, what the hell you're talking about, that you're a professional. And that's what people when you're in a room, that's what they want to know. When we're pitching this show, they don't know me. I'm not known as a TV writer. I've sold a bunch of feature scripts, but never done TV. So when I'm in that room, I have to prove myself. And when they ask me questions about like, how do you see this fitting? Or how do what do you think the budget is? Or who do you think the actors are? I got to have answers. If I just sit there and go, well, I haven't really thought about that, but here's my story. They're going to be like, well, we don't want to work. You know, we need you to help us. Everybody, you know, they need their showrunners and their people and their writers to know what the hell they're doing because they can't look over everybody. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They got to give you the money and let you go, go, go do it. And you know, they got to have trust, right? So your brand is so wildly important right now. So put yourself in a position to win. I said at the beginning of the show, the writer's room is free to everybody that comes on that that everybody that listens to this show, because Alex is my boy, right? Jason at j.merch at stage 32.com. Get in there. There's open writing assignments and everything like that. But most importantly, be active, be visible, but be visible and active in the right places. Value your time, value your money that you invest in yourself. Don't go with fly-by-night services and people that make bullshit promises. Demand transparency and put yourself in a position to win, and that's it. We can put all these links. I could give you these links, right? No, yeah, yeah. I'll put them in the show notes. Just send them over. I'll give all that stuff. And uh, yeah, man. If I could throw out, I know we're going to fly, so I'm just going to throw out my my social handles as well. Which is arguably one of the best social handles uh, on uh, Twitter. And uh, well, I share, I share a ton of free. The reason I'm giving out my social handles is not the same reasons that Alex does what he does. We're not throwing it out because I want 60 billion new followers. It's, to me, follower count doesn't mean shit. It's about the quality. But Alex and I put out a ton of free information all the time. He does the show for free, obviously. And if you go on my Instagram and my Twitter, you'll see that I'm putting out free content daily. And it's just RB, my initials, RB, walks into a bar. RB walks into a bar. And uh, also on stage 32, when you sign up, and it is free to sign up, it's a free platform, you will get my message on your wall. That is automated. That's the only thing in my life that is automated. You respond to that, you will get a response from me. Every single social media post, every single answer you see on social media, everything is me, just like Alex does, because we stand in front of everything that we say and integrity rules. And that's one of the reasons why I love this gentleman and gentleman in front of you um, and why I'm going to why I'm going to, you know, testosterone him up. And uh, okay, I don't appreciate again, don't appreciate your tone or your or your uh, um, you forget. I, I just want to say that's the thing. Surround yourself 
I'm I'm hyping both of us up saying that we're, we're men of integrity. I think we are. But my entire mantra in this business, and I know Alex is the same way, is I surround myself with people of integrity. And I surround myself with people that know more than I know and mm-hmm. that can elevate, help elevate me and want to take me with them. And that's been the key to my success this entire time in this business. And I, it's the reason why we're partners with Netflix now. Ten years ago, five years ago, when we would talk to Netflix, they were like, yeah, yeah. Sure, guys. Yeah, yeah. And now they're coming to us, paying us, and we're working with them, and we're partners with them. That comes from proving yourself over and over again. Oh, businesses. Yeah, and uh, and look, everyone listening to the show can see how the show has grown over the years, and it's because I've been here and just every day showing up, day in. Stone overnight. You didn't get any of these people overnight. You worked your ass off to build this audience and build this show. And and you did it, like I said, with style and integrity. And anybody that you go out to can listen to one of your shows and go, I get it. Like, wow, this guy is really giving back. Like, this guy does this from, you could tell why he does it and how he cares. And of course, why wouldn't an Oliver Stone want to do the show then, right? Why wouldn't anybody in this business not want to have an audience with your audience? And mm-hmm. I think that that's, Appreciate you know, that. It's, yeah, but it's the truth, right? So that's what I'm saying to your audience right now. Be good to yourself, okay? You're always going to be your own biggest champion, and you always have to find integrity in yourself, and you always have to inspire yourself. You should be your biggest inspiration, quite frankly, okay? And and, and, and just to put a button on this, man, you, you've been doing this 11 years. I've been doing it six and a half years. And, you know, that is a testament to resilience, but it's also a lesson for everyone learning and listening that this ain't going to happen overnight. No, no. And neither you or I have made it, but we've gotten to a certain level in, in our in what we do that it's taken us a long time to get here. Year one, you're not getting a call from Netflix. No. You know, you know, it takes time to get to these places in whatever you're trying to do. And if you think you have a one or two year plan, you're sadly mistaken. You have to have a one to two decade plan. Uh, And that's micro goals, right? This is the other thing I would say to this audience is, you know, I see everybody going on to social media saying like, these are my 2022 goals. That's fine. I think you should have goals. I think, you know, some people have vision boards. I don't, that's fine. If you have one, it's all good. I don't care what your method is, but you need to be fair to yourself. And if your goal is, you know, by the end of this year, I want to have X, Y, and Z, you got to recognize the fact that to get to X, Y, and Z, you need to have micro goals every day that mm-hmm. you hit. You mm-hmm. need to win the day. Like I just had this conversation. I, I did a, um, sorry, a, web, a webcast the other day, and they said, you know, the, the guy that was hosting said, you know, you're everywhere. Like you're always, you know, you see you here, I see that. How do you do it? Like how do you wake up every day and, you know, feel that fire? And the reality is it's routine. I wake up every day and my first hour is pretty much the same almost every single day because I know if I win that hour, I have a great chance to win the day. And that's if just I'm, eating and that's just eating raw meat, right? You just eat little raw meat. Raw meat and bourbon and, yeah. <laughs> and smoke a cigar. And you smoke and a cigar. cigar yeah. <laughs> that's pretty much the entire plan. That's that's the voice. That's how the voice has gotten to where it is. It's just raw meat, bourbon, cigar, first thing in the morning, breakfast. I would definitely say the bourbon contributed quite a bit to that. <laughs> Guys, uh, Arby, man, I appreciate you coming on the show. As always, my friend, you're always welcome back uh, anytime. Uh, you, you, you hold the record. 
I don't think anyone's going to break your record of the most appearances on the show. I think we're 13, 14, 15. I don't even, I lost track. I'd have to go back and count them all. But, uh, but it's a pleasure as always. You're a wealth of information, uh, a gentleman and a scholar, sir. So I appreciate your time, my friend. Well, I appreciate you having me on as always. You know, I love you to death and, uh, appreciate everything that you do for the community, of course. And, uh, yeah, man, I'm looking forward to 16. Looking forward to. I'm also looking forward to my gold watch for 15. So I'll expect that in the mail. Any the jacket, the jacket will be coming soon. The jacket, smoking jacket. I sm- hit 20. I'll even get a made. I'll get a smoking jacket and then I'll get a bib for the raw meat, so the yeah. blood doesn't get on the smoking jacket. So yeah, the next show now I feel like I have to come with a cigar and bourbon. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Well, you sh- I don't know why you haven't. You have yet to do that. Yeah, I've, well, I used to put bur- actually when I used to do shows with you, there was bourbon in the club. There was always there was no, no. You actually had bourbon straight up. Like yeah, you weren't trying to hide it. Like you actually yeah, no, had. I hide it. Yeah, no, no. Depends on the time of day. This is early for you, so I understand. Not really. Not early for me. No. no. Um, I, six o'clock in the morning. I'm drinking. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's like, listen, like, <laughs> I don't even have to say it's five o'clock somewhere. It's just. It's uh, just. I'm awake. It's uh, and I do, I, I do hope to see you, my friend, at uh, South by. Hopefully, if it goes off, we'll uh, we'll hopefully yeah. see you here. It'll be my first South by Southwest. I've never been, so it's going to be exciting. I expect you to be here to show me uh, around uh, and tell me where to go, where not to go, uh, and uh, and Sundance, unfortunately, not so yeah. much this year. Man, that throw a wrench into my schedule, and holy shit. Um, <laughs> well, maybe one day we'll come back to normal, man. I miss, uh, I miss Park yeah. City. But I think it's gonna. It'll never be what it was. It'll never be what it was. It'll never be what it was when we shot the movie. It'll yeah. N- it'll yeah. never be that again. I think we're, we're gonna be wearing masks for quite some time. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, well, we'll see what happens with South by. If I can make it down there, I'd love, you know, if they have it, I, you know, I'd love to see. We could probably do something live. My friend, a, a, a pleasure as always, my friend. Thanks again. <laughs> I love you, my brother. I really do. I love you to death. All right, my friend. I want to thank RB for coming on the show and dropping his knowledge bombs on the tribe today. Thank you so much. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, including how to get that free webinar from Netflix, head over to the show notes at bulletproofscreenwriting.tv forward slash 183. And if you haven't already, please head over to screenwritingpodcast.com, subscribe, and leave a good review for the show. It truly helps us out a lot. Thank you again so much for listening, guys. As always, Keep on writing, no matter what. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast at BulletproofScreenwriting.tv. 